Well, we are finally here. The final week of the 10 commandments that we've been studying. And what better way to wrap up our time in the 10 commandments than to have a quiz. So it is quiz time, my friends. I want to know who can, in order, by themselves, with no smartphone, no Bible, nothing, anything like that, no elbowing the person next to you, can name all 10 commandments in order. Ooh, that's a toughie. Does anybody think they can do that? Rashad? All right, all right, let's hear it, Rashad. Go for it. <laughs> Did you just say blah, blah, blah? <laughs> Nicely done. Yes, okay, so no graven images. Okay, and then? I know, I threw you off. Oh, you're looking it up? Oh, no. Okay, num- number, no, so you got, you, got no, you got no other gods before me, you got no graven images. The third one, some help? You shall not. Use the Lord's name in vain. Number four, it's the last one to do with God, so it's, well, directly doing with God. No, you have, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Number five, honor your father and mother. Number six, whoa, you're going faster. Okay, so you shall not, so you cannot, shall not kill. You shall not, we're, we're missing number seven. After kill, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness and you shall not covet your neighbor's anything. There we go. I know, we, we caught you off guard. So those are our 10 commandments. Tyler, go ahead and throw up our, our list there of our 10 commandments. Those are our answers, my, my kind of abbreviated version of the, of the 10 commandments right there. So I want now to read to you the entirety of the 10 commandments as we find them in Exodus chapter 20, verse one through 17. And the Lord God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife 
or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for these 10 commandments. We thank you for the way that you have given them to your people, for the way that you call us to obey them, for the way that you guide us with these. Lord, help us to not only study them during this time, to not only seek to live them during this time, but Lord, to obey you every day. We thank you for the gifts of your word. We thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and honoring to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we have spent these last 10 weeks, we are now on week 11, studying the 10 commandments and seeking to say, okay, what is God saying? What was he saying to the people of Israel back then we gave them the 10 commandments and what is he saying to us today? What is he teaching us? And one thing that we did with that was I didn't necessarily plan on this from the very beginning as much as we did, but we looked a whole lot at the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus very clearly addressed pretty much all of the Ten Commandments um, in the Sermon on the Mount, and he really fleshed them out, and as he said um, at one point during the Sermon on the Mount, he did not come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. So we see that a lot, how he fulfilled the Ten Commandments and really all of God's law um, and in the Sermon on the Mount, but, it, but throughout his life. So, I lost what I was gonna say there. It's funny, because I go off my notes a little bit, and then I come back and go, oh crud, where was I? Um, so where was I? I was right here. So, um, we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been learning that it's not just about, you know, that phrase I keep saying, it's not about sin avoidance, but it is about seeking to live a life that glorifies God, seeking to live a life that reflects God, bringing his kingdom here, and also seeking to bless other people. Those are kind of the big things that we find in the Sermon on the Mount. As, as it says somewhere else, you know, the, the, the Ten Commandments help us know how to love God and how to love other people. Now, for many people, whether you are a Christian or whether you are Jewish or just vaguely spiritual or just kind of been around for a while, you say, well, the Ten Commandments um, are this standard of how civilized people should live. But the more you dig in and you go beyond just, well, yeah, the Ten Commandments, of course, we follow the Ten Commandments. The more you dig in and look at them and then you look at the, at the Sermon on the Mount, um, you find some challenging words in there. You find some difficult things to live by. And the Ten Commandments can, at times, feel very um, invasive. And for some folks, would even say well, they're pretty, pretty imposing by God and what he's, what he's saying to us. It can feel a bit like God is saying to us, I am perfect and you are not, and I'm gonna give you a list of all the things that make you imperfect and messed up. And as if that wasn't enough, as if the Ten Commandments were not enough, I'm also going to send my son. And yes, my son is going to save you, but first he's gonna tell you in the Sermon on the Mount all the other ways that not only have you messed up on the, the active ways you've broken the Ten Commandments, but here's what's going on in your heart, and here's other ways that you have broken the Ten Commandments. Well, if you go into my office or you see me wearing a t-shirt just away, away from work during the week, you will see that I am a Harry Potter fan. I have my, you know, my, my wand in my office from Severus Snape and all that kind of stuff. I love Harry Potter. Now, Harry's um, main nemesis, of course, is Voldemort. However, oh, um, he who shot, well, he's, he's, I don't want to give spoilers away. Um, so for anybody who hasn't read at this point, I know. Um, but, his, but the most, anybody who's read or seen the movies, 
even though Voldemort is the nemesis and is kind of the evil character, who is the most despised character in Harry Potter? Oh, come on. Dolores Umbridge, right? Okay, and she looks sweet and she looks kind and she wears her pink, but Dolores Umbridge is like saccharine okay? She's fake sweet. She's terrible for you. She's awful. She's wretched. She is this, this terrible, terrible person. She um, worked for the Ministry of Magic um, and was just a nasty, nasty individual. Now, she came in. She was sent by the Ministry of Magic to go and work at Hogwarts, but her desire at Hogwarts was to take over. She wanted to wrench control away of Hogwarts from Professor Dumbledore. Now, the way that she did that was she created um, dozens of educational decrees. There's a, there's a picture for that. There's one of the decrees there, and they hammered them all up over the wall, and there were, there were a few dozen of them. And it was her way of imposing all these rules on the students and the professors at Hogwarts. So one of them was to create the role of High Inquisitor, and she had supreme authority over all punishments. Uh, she also banned all student clubs and teams, aside from ones that would come to her and request to become one again. She even limited professors as to what they were allowed to talk to um, the students about. Now, all of these rules were meant to exert her authority and put students in their place. She even created an inquisitorial squad to enforce the rules, and she really seemed to take great pleasure in enforcing the rules and punishing the students. Now, sometimes for those who don't much care for the Bible, Um, the Ten Commandments can feel a bit like Umbridge's educational decrees. They see an angry God who loves to create rules, waiting for people to break them so that he can punish them. Now, although I've never really felt that, I I understand what people are saying, I've I've never really connected with that, Um, as we have looked closely at the Ten Commandments, as we have looked closely at the Sermon on the Mount, there's times when I've just kind of felt beat up going like, man, look at all these things that I've broken, all these rules that I thought that I was okay on, these commandments of God, but I keep breaking them. Is there any hope that I could ever please God? Or is God just kind of looking down at me going, man, you blew it again. Well, here's another one. Here's another one where you blew it again. And then, of course, what about those who aren't Christian, those who reject Jesus, those who reject the Bible, and and they hear, well, yes, we we affirm the Ten Commandments, and we affirm that God um, expects that we actually obey them. Well, then they read what those Ten Commandments are, they read the Sermon on the Mount, and they see just further proof that Christians are judgmental and that God is a tyrant. Well, as we've discussed before, these applications, this understanding of what the Ten Commandments are is incorrect, it's inaccurate. Neither the Ten Commandments nor the Sermon on the Mount were intended to be how to earn God's love in 10 easy steps or how to earn your way into heaven. Instead, Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount and the Ten Commandments show me the path to living a life of God's way. They were also written for people, as we talked about before, they are written for people who already were God's people. It wasn't some outside thing that he was just enforcing on a whole bunch of random people, but it was people who were already called God's people. It was not people who were hoping to earn their way into God's good graces. You know, it's that phrase that that we've said before, we aren't saved because we do good works. We do good works because we are saved. We aren't saved because we follow the Ten Commandments. We follow the Ten Commandments because we are saved. 
So if you remember in Exodus 19, God um, was talking to the people of Israel and saying, okay, do you want to, to be my people? But right before that, he had already delivered them. He had saved them. He had taken them out of Egypt where they had been in captivity. And he said, okay, I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. Will you obey my commands? And they said, yes. And it was at that point when God said, okay, here are my 10 commandments for you. So God says the same thing to us today. I will be your God and you will be my people. Will you obey my commands? Jesus even goes on in, in John 14. I don't have a slide for this one, but Jesus goes on in John 14 and says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. So my salvation is not dependent on obeying God's commands, but God is still calling us to obey his commands, to look at the Ten Commandments, to look at the Sermon on the Mount. We cannot just look at them and go, well, you know, I'm saved, so it's all good, it doesn't matter. We also don't look at them and go, well, I gotta make sure I do all these things, otherwise God is going to reject me and I will no longer be his child. But God is calling us to obedience that flows out of a heart of gratitude. So with all this in mind, as we've, we've talked about, this is, all this stuff we're talking about here is nothing new, we've talked about it before, but with all this in mind, we spent those 10 weeks studying the Sermon on the Mount. So what I did was I, we were reading those and I looked through the Sermon on the Mount, I looked at the weeks of, of the, the Ten Commandments and I'm reading through there and I'm seeing just time after time going, man, well here's, here's a way that I've blown that, here's a way that I've taken the Lord's name in vain, here's a way that I've not honored my parents, here's a way that I have had anger and hatred in my heart, here are the things that I've said, here are the things that I have done. I look at my life and I count up the, the things that I've broken, the thou shalt nots that I've broken, and I count up the positives that I've failed to live out. And I quickly realize that I am woefully incapable, how's that for a phrase, woefully incapable of living up to the standard that God has called. Now the reality is I really do love the word of God. I believe that it is true. I believe that it is authoritative. I believe it is unique, infallible, inspired word of God given to us. It is God's rule of life. It is God's path to salvation, sharing us the good news of Jesus Christ. It is for me. It is for the church. It is for the world. I believe it's true, and I believe that God calls us to obey it. But still, I fail to obey it. I believe it. I want to follow it. I decide to follow it. You know, I have decided to follow Jesus and then, and um, the song that we'll sing and then the, um, what was it? Not David, Daniel, you know, purposed in his heart. He resolved in his heart that he was not going to defile himself. He was going to be faithful to God. And I do that same thing, but still I fail. It can be really disheartening, right? We make these decisions and go, God, I really wanna follow you. I really wanna be faithful. And I look at the word and I read the word and I say, this is the inspired word of God. But it gets disheartening. Well, one of the great heroes in the Christian faith, he's Apostle Paul. Paul lived an incredibly faithful life. He was constantly seeking to understand and obey God's word. He was also tremendously humble and he understood the need for God's grace, not just this big kind of concept of grace, but he understood his personal need for the grace of God. He was an amazing, amazing theologian. He was a phenomenal teacher. He was an amazing preacher, successful evangelist, a great mentor, a great friend. 
He was bold in the face of opposition when he faced persecution, when he faced all these challenges and difficulties, getting arrested and getting thrown in jail. He was grateful even through all of his struggles. Paul wrote a huge portion of the Bible. You look at many of the letters in the New Testament were written by Paul and they have this amazing theology that is within them, these beautiful letters that, that lay out the gospel. Paul also understood the law. He understood especially how the Old Testament law and the New Testament law fit together. He probably knew that better than anyone in human history. He knew it forward and backward. He was a trained Pharisee. He was a scholar of the teachings of Jesus. And more importantly than any of those things, and more importantly than all the knowledge that he had, the abilities that he had, the way that he stood up in in all these different ways, more important than that, Paul loved the word of God. Paul said that he loved the law of God. But still, Paul struggled with the law. Listen to his words, the word of God. Romans chapter seven, verse 14 through 20. I'm gonna be reading out of the New Living Translation. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong, it is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. Now, one of those phrases for me is one of those that has really kind of resonated and stuck in my mind for a long time. He says, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. And for me, I was kind of held on to that a little bit, right? Going like, man, I know there's sin in my life, and I know there's struggles in my life, and I want to do what's right. But then look at Paul, and Paul, all these great things about Paul, and Paul struggled with it. What I didn't realize the other times that I had read it, and each time that I went back to it, generally when I went back to it, it wasn't because I opened the book of Romans, but I just remembered that verse, I remember that little passage. But then you read further. So that was 7, 14 through 20. Listen to what he says in 7, 21 through 24 in Romans. I've discovered this principle of life a principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart. But there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Now, Paul wrote some of the most impactful words, phrases, teachings that have ever been taught in all of human history, if you think about it, okay? Just to name two of them. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works. Another, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. Love never fails. Faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. 
But here, what are Paul's words of wisdom and encouragement? I've discovered this principle of life. When I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Powerful words. Well, I've felt that frustration myself. So you have this time, you know, whether you're, you know, hearing a sermon, whether you're reading scripture, you open it up and you, and you see God calling you to something and I read it and I go, God, I know you're calling me to live a more faithful life. I know you are calling me to live not only generally a more faithful life, but there's this thing that I wanna do. There's this way that I want to be faithful to you. I've been challenged by you. I decided I want to make that change but then reality comes crashing in. Either I will fall back into that pattern or I will open the Bible and I will find another thing. I'll look more at the Sermon on the Mount and see another way that I am failing to obey God. You know, it's one of those things that um, I forget exactly what this, there was some study that was put out there that was like, you know, the more that you learn about a subject, the more you realize how little you know about that subject. You know, people will know this much about whatever, you know, whatever the, the, the topic may be, but they think they know a ton, but the more you learn, you go, man, there's so much more to learn. Well, it's the same way with sin. The more that I look at sin, the more that I look at God's word and say, okay, here's how he's calling me to live, the more I realize, oh man, there's more where I'm falling short. Well, if Paul had stopped there with, oh, what a miserable person I am, at least I would have known that I had some company. But thankfully, Paul does not stop there. Listen to what he says in Romans 7, 24 through 8, chapter 8, verse 4. Oh, what a miserable or wretched person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. So now, there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. The answer Who will free me from the life of sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ. So now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the Spirit has freed you. Notice that it doesn't say, thank God. You know, God knows my heart. He knows I'm trying really hard. I'm gonna mess up, but he knows that I'm trying really hard. No, it says the answer is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So what we find here is we find justification and sanctification, okay? Justification, sanctification, two theological words that we've we've mentioned a couple times before. Justification, justified, think justification equals salvation, 
okay? Salvation happened one time. It happened because Jesus Christ died on the cross and he offered you and he offered me life and we accepted it and that's it. It is done by him, it is received by us. Sanctification is also done by God but received by us. Paul is struggling with sanctification. It is this process of being made more like Jesus Christ. It takes time. And it's not done by our concerted efforts. It's not done by us just trying harder and being better people. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in us as we choose to surrender every day to him. It's again Romans 8, 4, where it says, to no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead to follow the Spirit. So I would say that sanctification is a bit, it's like a journey that we go on, and we have two guides who are attempting to lead us on this journey of life. One guide offers us life. This guide honors God, it blesses other people. This guide leads us in ways that are not always easy, that are not always comfortable, but it is the one that gives us healing and grace. But we also have another guide. Now this other guide will try and lead us down a familiar trail that we've been on many, many times before. It might not be a great trail, but at least it's a comfortable trail. We know where that trail, at least we think, we know where that trail is leading. But it's a trail of destruction. So the question for me is not how hard am I going to work, but which guide am I going to follow? Am I going to follow the guide of the Holy Spirit or am I going to follow the guide of the flesh, of sin? Now, I wish that this journey from, you know, was simple, that it was straightforward, that it was from point A to point B. We start here and it's a crummy place and we're still dealing with sin and we're dealing with all that mess that is within us, but as God reveals more to us, then we, we just go in this straight line and we're going right toward the cross and this is great. And, you know, we slow down a little bit, but we're always going that way, but sometimes we go off here and sometimes we take a couple steps back and sometimes we fall over flat on our face. There are times when that other guide, that other voice leads us and we follow. And we go back down that path we've traveled so many times. But as I think of that, I'm reminded of the parable of the lost sheep. So we have Jesus who a number of times refers to himself as a good shepherd, as the one who is protecting us, the one who is caring for us. But you have this sheep, right? You have, you have these, these hundred sheep and you have the shepherd and you have these sheep who are all together and then this one sheep who's being cared for and led and protected by the shepherd, this one sheep wanders off on its own. And it goes further and it goes further. And you see this image here. I love this picture here. As this sheep is down, like falling into this chasm, but the shepherd has come and he has found it. He's left all the others. And that's what happens with God and us. We have this guide who is saying, I know you've wandered off, but I'm gonna come and get you. And he's saying, you've seen, there's all this sin, there's all this mess, there's all this stuff that's going on. And he had to come. And you know how, how the shepherd brought the sheep back? Does anybody remember what he did? He picked him up and put him on his shoulders. I'm gonna pick you up out of this mess. I know you went off and you nearly fell down that ravine. You chose to go in that place. You chose to go that path of destruction. He looks at our sin. He looks at our brokenness and he goes, Jeff, you messed up. But I'm gonna pick you up and I'm gonna take you with me. I'm gonna take you back. 
and it says he rejoiced and he brought him back and he's celebrating with all the other people saying, look, my sheep who was gone is found. My sheep is back with me, this sheep that I love. God finds us, he brings us back, he rejoices. There's grace, there is redemption. So we look at all this list, we look at all these 10 commandments and we go, I blew it, I'm failing. We just beat ourselves up and go, this is terrible, I'm, I'm trash, I'm awful. Or at least you think I'm awful, or at least God thinks that I'm awful. But what God sees is this sheep that is strayed away. This sheep that he loves dearly. And he knows that that path, that path leads to destruction. But he comes and he finds us. And he picks us up and he brings us back. God has given us the Ten Commandments to show how to love God and how to love people. But he also knew that we would stumble, that we would fall. He knew that we would wander away. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice for our sins to do what we could never do on our own and to call us to come home to him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being the good shepherd. So often we go down our own way, we think we know better, or we just take our eyes off of our guide, and we fall back into those old patterns. Lord, help us to be faithful to you. Help us to believe you. Help us to trust you. Help us when we make those decisions to follow you, help us to continue to do that. Jesus, we know that sin is so pervasive, it is so destructive that it just keeps eating away while we are here. But we trust, we know that there is no condemnation for the life to come, but even for now. Lord, help us to faithfully follow you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.